This is Class, an official podcast of the Democratic Socialists of America National Political Education Committee. My name is Elton L.K. This episode is the first of a collection of sessions DSA hosted at the Socialism 2022 conference in September in Chicago. We would like to thank Haymarket Books for generously sharing the recordings with us. You can hear many other sessions from the Socialism Conference in podcast form at socialismconference.org. I strongly recommend it. On a personal note, I have been listening to recordings from the Socialism Conference for more than 10 years. It has been an incredible resource. The session that we will be listening to today was hosted by DSA Tucson member Melanie Turner Harper. The panelists are Eileen Garza and Suze Warshall. Eileen Garza was born and raised in Rio Grande Valley in Texas, which she refers to as the RGV. She has been organizing in reproductive rights since 2016 after learning about the reproductive justice framework. In the 2016 election, she began working with many Texas and national organizations where she learned about policy advocacy and the impacts that legislation has on her beloved community of the RGV. Currently, Eileen continues in reproductive rights and is a board member of Frontera Fund, the sole abortion fund in the RGV. And she is continuing her work of empowering, fundraising, and educating the community, especially other young people, to take their community into their own hands. Suze Warshall is passionate about the behind-the-scenes work needed to win a better world. As a member of DSA's National Election Committee, she has led the organization's Protect Abortion training series following the Dobbs decision and helps coordinate the NEC's abortion initiative for ballot measures in Kentucky and Montana. She currently volunteers as a case manager for the D.C. Abortion Fund and previously served as the Volunteer Deputy Development Director. She also volunteers with the Online Abortion Resource Squad, which works to bring accurate, supportive information about abortion to online forums. She is based in Mexico City. I will hand things over to Melanie to ask the first question. Let's start with some background on the current abortion landscape in your region and any national level work you've been involved in. We'll start with Aline. Like uh, Melanie mentioned, I'm originally from the RGV, currently living in Austin. But honestly, the landscape in Texas has been so rocky for the last few years that this was the fall of Roe was inevitable at this point because the last two months since the fall of Roe, abortion has been virtually inaccessible, virtually not available to anybody throughout the state of Texas. Uh, And for the last year since uh, SB8 went into effect, which was the six week abortion ban in Texas, for the last year, abortion had become very sparse, I guess. People were having to travel uh, out of state to get abortion care if they weren't within the six-week gestational period, which for many people, they don't know that they're pregnant within those few weeks and windows, especially because people were already trying to seek care if they were and were already put at least a week to two weeks out from getting abortion care. And that's to say that the last 
decade has honestly been one of the rockiest for abortion care and basic reproductive health care in the state of Texas because not too long ago, I believe it'll almost be a decade since HB2 passed, uh, which was the House bill that required abortion clinics to be ambulatory surgical centers. So this has just been a constant attack since then because that was the last major fight that we had. But considering that Texas lives in the Fifth Circuit, there is inevitably no win, especially with our neighboring states of Louisiana and Mississippi. But yeah, in the RGB specifically, abortion, and all down the frontera from El Paso to Brownsville, abortion care has been very inaccessible to undocumented communities, which is why Frontera Fund was such a necessary resource because we also never ask people for any documentation because we believe that everybody should have access to every kind of reproductive care, especially abortion care, because most people who are seeking abortions are already parents, and we see that every day. Uh, And we just wanted to make sure that people are just able to live happy healthy lives within their communities and their families. Thank you. I'll start by talking about access in the DMV in DC, Maryland and Virginia um, with my work with the DC Abortion Fund because I think in many ways it's obviously very different to the context that Eileen just talked about but in many ways it's also very similar. And so obviously the provider landscape looks very, very different in the sense that Maryland in particular has two of the only four uh, clinics in the entire country that provide abortion care later in a pregnancy. Um, And so for many years, even before Roe, we've seen people traveling from all across the country um, to the DMV to access care. Um, And so those providers are still there. They're still operating. um, But what I think is very similar, um, and to Eileen's point that this is true before Roe is the access situation, which is that, you know, there can be providers a mile down the road from you, but if you don't have the money to pay for your care or you don't have the information or the, you know, familial support or whatever it may be that you need to actually get the abortion, uh, that provider being there doesn't do very much for you. Um, And so I think that is true pre-row um, and especially true post-row. We've seen a huge rise in confusion among our callers of not understanding whether or not they're able to get an abortion, uh, no matter where they live. And then we've also seen, as we predicted, a huge influx of callers from different places who are now having to travel much further uh, to receive the care that they need. Um, but again, we've had people traveling across the country for abortion for many, many years, even pre-row, because of uh, gestational limits on abortion that have been in place um, long before Dobbs. And so we are stretched to our capacity. Um, Luckily, it has been accompanied by a huge influx in support, both monetarily and um, in terms of volunteers. Um, But we know that's not sustainable. We know that that support, the one-time support that comes after Roe falls is not going to get us through the next 10, 20, 30 years of providing abortion care. Um, And you've also seen a huge change in the landscape of abortion funds um, and how they're having to operate. For many, many years, solidarity funding has been an essential part of the space where abortion funds are helping funds across the country 
uh, support someone who is not from their state, is not traveling from their state, is not getting care in their state. That's just a person who needs an abortion. Uh, and we know as abortion funds, we have an obligation to help everyone we can. That is not a possibility for the vast majority of abortion funds anymore. Most abortion funds have had to stop all solidarity funding because they're just barely keeping up with callers from within their own state. Um, and so I think that's also a huge change that we've seen in access of um, the restriction and flexibility and solidarity in the space. Um, obviously, the interest in solidarity has not changed, but, but the capacity that funds have to do it has um, so that's kind of what we've seen on the ground in the DMV. But I also do want to talk a little bit about DSA's work um, post-Dobbs that I've been involved in. Uh, so immediately post-Dobbs, when Roe v. Wade fell, DSA set up the product abortion work um, where we brought members together from across the country. Thousands of members signed up um, very soon after the decision to be a part of this work. Uh, and we developed materials and toolkits for different chapters to help teach them how to get involved in this work locally and how to run a campaign around ab abortion based on their local context. Um, and then as Melanie mentioned, we did an abortion training series uh, which we just had a call last week where we started with just general campaign planning, um, again, just helping people understand what does it mean to run a campaign in defense of abortion? And how do you run a strategic and impactful campaign? And then the second training actually walked them through some examples of work that's already happening in DSA chapters across the country um, where we've already seen immense victories. So Atlanta DSA coordinated with a lot of other groups in Atlanta to encourage and effectively convince the city council to donate $300,000 to their local abortion fund, uh, which is some of the first city funded abortion care ever in the history of this country, which is really exciting. Um, and then more recently, we saw organizers in Kansas successfully defeat uh, the ballot measure that would have removed the right to an abortion from the state constitution. And organizers in DSA in Kansas played a really big role in that victory. And we just heard from them actually last week on a call about how they did that so that over 100 members from across the country were able to join and hear directly from the organizers on how they can replicate that success and keep winning in these ballot measures across the country. So a lot of work happening uh, and certainly ongoing, but yeah, it's, it's bittersweet. I think there's been a lot of enthusiasm, which I know we'll talk about, but it's also just happening under increasingly difficult circumstances. Thank you, Suze. So our next question for the panel, what does it mean to you to situate access to abortion and broader reproductive justice work within the context of the fight for socialism? And we'll start with Suze this time. Yeah, I think um, for me, it's a very obvious answer, which is that this attack on bodily autonomy is just one part, a very big part, um, but one part of a much broader system of punishment and oppression and control of the working class. And I think telling that story effectively and, and connecting it to all those other stories of oppression is what it means to situate this work in a socialist context. And also recognizing that this is not just Republicans who did this, that Democrats failed us and that we're at this moment because at a state and local and national level, Democrats just simply didn't do enough to protect abortion. Um, it really 
always gets me when Democrats talk about how abortion is health care, abortion is health care. And it's like, well, you don't want to pay for health care either. So I don't really know what I'm supposed to do with that. Um, and so understanding that it's not enough to just say abortion is a right or abortion is health care if you're not actually, you know, meaningfully struggling and fighting for people to have access to those things. And so I think that's where a socialist perspective is so essential. Um, and I think also just reproductive justice generally, which, you know, to be clear, is a black feminist originated concept. I don't want to attribute it to the socialist movement alone. But I do think that its core tenets have a lot to do with what we fight for as socialists. So for those who don't know, reproductive justice at its core is the idea of three main things that you can choose to have children, you can choose to not have children, and that you can be able to raise those children in a safe and healthy world. Um, and I think it's that third point that's really key and that almost all Democrats completely miss, which is that, yeah, okay, great. It's great that you have the right to choose to have a child or not have a child. Um, but that's not true choice if you don't have the right to, you know, shape and fight for the type of world that that child's going to grow up in. So when we talk about Medicare for all, both in terms of abortion provision and healthcare after a child is born or after someone gives birth, but also things like universal childcare and, you know, mass incarceration, all of those things are reproductive issues because they shape the way that people are allowed to exist in this world. Um, and so I think meaningfully fighting for, you know, a socialist world means not just fighting for the right to an abortion, uh, but the entire system around it that makes that a true choice for people. And I'm not particularly interested in, you know, moralizing or hypothesizing around whether there would be more or less abortions in a socialist world. I don't think abortions are a bad thing. I, I don't want people to be pregnant when they don't want to be, but I don't think it's really relevant whether there would be more or less abortions. But I think that idea of true choice uh, and justice of you are making the decision that is best for you based on your decision alone, not because of all these other factors, financial, health, social, that are out of your control, I think that's really what we have to fight for as socialists, is that true justice framework. If there's one thing I will say is that abortion is a moral good, uh, regardless if you need an abortion now or might need an abortion later, will never need an abortion. Abortion, regardless, should be freely accessible and available to people. And that's something that um, the socialist movement is that I attribute the socialist movement with is just being able to make sure that we are taking care of ourselves, our communities, and making sure that they are protected and uh, being able to like live the lives that they want to. Um, and essentially, like Sue said, that is the reproductive justice framework. It definitely lives within those uh, same values and also challenges them because we have to think about uh, what more we can do as socialists uh, in this world to progress into reproductive freedom. Uh, because although some of you may think it doesn't affect you or affects people like immediately around you, uh, it does affect you because this is just the first attack of many that are uh, communities that ourselves are going to have to face considering how much, like Sue said again, um, uh, Democrats failed us uh, because 
row was the floor, it was in the ceiling. There is so much more that we can be fighting for and reaching for, but we were giving crumbs with row because essentially much of this country's history, it was always around, uh, it has always been for white people, but people of color have always had abortions. It's in our culture, it's uh, in our communities, it's ancestral. Um, and to say that Roe was the final straw is not correct because it'll continue until we're all done. But knowing that we're all socialists and here to fight for a better world, I also believe that this room and the people at this conference will support in making sure that we are continuously saving each other and being there for each other and protecting each other in this movement. Um, just one last thing when thinking about abortion access through a socialist lens, I think I'm still not totally clear on how much I attribute where we're at to, to this piece, but uh, like I don't think Republican politicians are scholars in social reproductive theory and labor, but I, like we do know that capitalists and the elite class have a vested interest in having a exploitable and constantly reproducing labor force. And again, I don't think that the vast majority of people writing this legislation are sitting down and thinking about, well, I want to make sure I have a worker to exploit 30 years from now. But I do think that the core idea of capitalist control of people's bodies and labor is at the center of this whole ideology and that makes it you know possible to say that I don't care if it ruins your life if you get pregnant I don't care if it ruins your life if you have a baby like you are not a person to me right you're a worker and I think so both from the reproductive standpoint of yes they do need a reproducing labor class there's also the idea of people as very disposable um I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago, The Dig, um, and Patrick Blanchfield was on it talking about guns and like the American death culture. And he talked about the cheapness of life in America and how people view life as really cheap. And that really resonated with me in the context of abortion of they say that life is sacred and life is so important, but it's only this very theoretical concept of a life to them, whereas the actual life of the pregnant person is very cheap to them. Again, it doesn't matter if their life is destroyed over this. And so, yeah, I think there's just a lot to untangle there. Of There's no true reproductive freedom until we actually view people as full humans, full people um, who are entitled to their lives and full control of their lives. What do you see as best practices for engaging with folks who were radicalized by the overturning of Roe and are ready to dive into organizing? And how do we approach folks who might be new to socialism in this moment? We'll start with Ivan on this one. I've always been told that I'm too much whenever it comes to talking about abortion. And honestly, most of the things that I've just dedicated energy to. But one thing, whenever it comes to people being brought into the movement is to allow them to make mistakes because that's the only way that we learn is by making mistakes and I know some personalities don't like making mistakes but if you can't stand being corrected then how are we moving forward together so that is definitely something that I've had to tell myself uh, in these spaces because I'm also still learning a lot of things, a lot of theory as I go on. 
but being able to ask questions, even if they might be the wrong questions and being just told like, hey, instead of asking a question that way, can we offer to ask this way? So then it just becomes a larger conversation because yeah, like if we can't correct each other, then what's it worth? Just being able to challenge each other to be better will honestly push us into those conversations on socialism and abortion and reproductive justice and what the fight for liberation looks like, essentially. Yeah, I absolutely echo all of that. And I think for me, a big part of making the most of this moment and and bringing people in is accurately recognizing it for what it is, which is one of the most mobilizing and potentially radicalizing moments in modern American history. And I think we have to really internalize that and believe that to be able to do the most that we can to grow the socialist movement and, and make this a socialist fight is recognizing its power and its potential and not taking it for granted that there's a lot of people who have not been a part of this fight or who have not necessarily been paying close attention who are now. Um, And to Eileen's point of when those people come into these spaces, letting them make mistakes, I think it's also being genuinely happy that they're there and, and welcoming them. And, you know, of course, there's a part of me that after doing this work for many years and seeing people who weren't paying attention. I'm like, okay, like, yeah, like, I'm glad that now you're paying attention. This has been happening for years, but there's a much bigger part of me that's like, thank you for paying attention. I'm glad you're here. And I think that's our obligation and responsibility as socialists is to genuinely be excited when people want to join us and to give us the opportunity to do something about it. So to that point, I think that's the other big point is giving them something to do. It's not enough to just say like, great, you agree with us now, because one, that's not how you bring people into a struggle. And two, that's not durable. That's not long lasting. Um, So I think having meaningful things that people can get involved in is an obligation that we have in this moment. This is CLASS, an official podcast of the Democratic Socialists of America National Political Education Committee. My name is Elton L. K. I'd like to thank Sean Larson from Haymarket Books, Melanie Turner Harper for hosting this session and providing me with additional assistance pulling this together, Sanjeev Gupta for contributing to sound engineering and other technical support, Casey Sticker as a key member of our tiny team for sound engineering, theme music, and editing. Please join us next time as we listen to another session from the Socialism 2022 conference.